Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. In a couple minutes, we're going to be joined by one of our all-time favorite guests, Joe Tessator of ESPN. He's back calling college football now. And speaking of college football coming back, Bruce, Thursday, do we think we'll finally get some clarity on the Pac-12? Stu, I think we are going to get the Pac-12 to come back this fall. Um, Everything I'd heard that was their meetings were geared towards actually a November 7th start date, which a lot of the coaches felt like it was better than rushing back a little too soon. And some of them pointed to the NFL injury issues, not just in week one, but then I talked to some in the last few days who said, you know, look, there's been devastating injuries even more so in week two. So if you're going to say health and safety is your number one priority, why would you rush back when a lot of your programs or several of your programs are not in that position where they feel like, hey, this isn't just being in cardio shape. It's we got to get our guys in football shape. And even if there are a couple of ADs in places that maybe haven't had the same issues with COVID that some of the other ones have, it's like, you know what, maybe they'll let them face each other on Halloween. But everything I'd heard was the target date was going to be November 7th. So November 7th, seven-game season. Um, they get to play in their New Year's Six Bowl and their bowl games. And uh, not it's not what everybody would have hoped back, back before COVID, but it's better than – I think we can all agree that would be better than the original plan of having to wait till January. And then the Mountain West and the MAC real quick. Uh, the, we reported this over the weekend that the Mountain West – felt like very optimistic that they could start on the 24th. There are certain regulations in some locales that had been cleared up and had cleared up over the last couple of days. Uh, Their ADs met. We expect some decision tomorrow as well. But again, as we reported last weekend, they're looking at the 24th. So we'll see if that goes in the MAC. Maybe they're looking at a six-game schedule as, as they kind of put the pieces together and see if they can start up just like everybody else then so at least for one month uh, maybe five or six weeks six weeks or so we will have pretty close to a full college football season in the meantime the sec comes back this weekend big big deal and our guest joe tessator is calling one of the games let's bring him on now All right, and now we are pleased to be joined by our guest, an old friend to the show as well as to college football fans. He's the great Joe Tessator. Joe, thank you for joining us. I know you have a big SEC game this weekend. Isn't that nice to say, Bruce, that there's an SEC game this weekend, but I'm glad to be back talking ball 
with you and Stu, and um, it feels right at home to be prepping for an SEC game. That's for sure. It, I mean, it was it was music to our ears when it was announced that you were coming back to college football, and I think it was to a lot of fans as well. And right from the beginning, so your first game, Georgia Tech, Florida State, I felt like was a classic Joe, Joe Tess effect game. Like, why do they always involve blocked field goals? I don't know why they involved wacky special teams and more lightning delays than I could ever want to deal with in life. I think about like, I, boy, it had to be maybe 10, 12 years ago. I think I did a Marshall-West Virginia game that started early on a Sunday afternoon of Labor Day weekend and almost finished on Labor Day. There were so many lightning delays. And then, as we've laughed about through the years, I've been involved with so many blocked kicks or bad kicks, and um, that's been interesting. But, yeah, poor Jude Kelly, um, he was feeling down in the dumps, then he was feeling like the hero, and then it happened again on ABC last weekend against UCF, and then he ended up not finishing out the game. Uh, I, uh, Being an 18-year-old true freshman kicker, I don't envy that. Boy, oh boy, what a ride. So before we get into your return in, in more depth, I, I think it is interesting for, for many of our listeners, I think they know the story that you are the dad of a specialist at Boston College, your yeah. son, John. So you have been through all the Jamie Cole world of of kicking and yes. punting and everything else. So are, as you're sitting up there, are you agonizing for this because you know what the dad's must be thinking yeah very much i you know john's a punter right now john's a a punter and a holder at bc but he started his career because a senior uh kicker was injured week one and coach adazio threw him in as a starting kicker so two weeks into college i can remember you know we're going down to see him play the thursday night primetime espn game in an acc opener and the kid's literally been taking classes for a week and a half. He's 18, and now all of a sudden he's starting in a college game as a kicker. And, of course, it was one of those games that constantly was they score, we score, they score, we score. So every time he came on the field, he had to tie the game. And, listen, I mean, I've broadcast NFL playoff games in front of 36 million people and you know, uh, college football playoffs and heavyweight championship fights that are international broadcasts going all over the world and, you know, prime entertainment specials on ABC with the other wacky stuff I do. I never get nervous doing that stuff. I was ready to throw up every time my 18-year-old son was trotting on the field to attempt an extra point. So I do feel for, I, I do feel for these guys. There's empathy when you, when you know what it feels like to be the parent. But also, I would just put that overall, Bruce, in, in terms of the way I broadcast college football is I broadcast college football from a far more celebratory angle. I like to celebrate the young men and I, I, um, I don't view it the way I view pro sports um, where it's laden with contract talk and criticism and tearing down and all that. So I always feel for the young men when things don't go the way they're supposed to go. And I like to celebrate the little things and sometimes celebrating little things. And I think this year more than ever is simply being out there on the field. Like, like I'm making a point the past few weeks to try to say as many names as I can, as many hometowns and high schools as I can, because what these guys have gone through just to be out there on a football field is worthy of celebration. To that point, Joe, about, kind of college football is is a sport that's maybe a little bit easier to celebrate the players and you don't have the contract talk and whatnot. 
So when you got the Monday Night Football job uh, two years ago, I texted you, yes. congratulations, and I was genuinely happy for you. It's the you know the the most visible uh, broadcasting role in football. Um, but I won't say that I didn't have some hesitation because I do feel like your style is perfect for college. Um, obviously, you know, your crew took a lot of criticism the, over those two seasons. And I just, you know, want you to, as comfortable as you may be about it, just kind of discuss what that experience was like. Well, I loved the people I worked with and I loved uh, the crew and I was proud of the work. I don't really fear much in life. So like taking on a challenge like that and going into that, do I like the Twitter verse and the, and the vitriol and the tearing down and, you know, the, this world of criticism? No, I mean, I, I understand that, that, um, you know, we had a rookie color commentator our first year who was an incredible football genius and Jason Witten, who was uh, new to the job and was, was growing into it and getting better as he went along. But you don't get a lot of time to get better on Monday Night Football, as we all quickly find out. Uh, we have one of the most dynamic, vibrant broadcasters that we've seen in recent years in Booger in year two. And, you know, there's criticism that comes his way. And then I, I take full responsibility for all of it. Um, if I'm going to be in that position as the leader of that crew and the play-by-play guy and the veteran guy of that booth who's been doing it for, you know, better part of two decades, then if there was any failure, whether real or perceived, then I'll hold myself accountable. But I don't look back with any regrets. I'm proud of the work, the relationships, uh, the challenges. Um, you know, I could sit here and spew some Ralph Waldo Emerson about, you know, if, if you don't go past anything you've mastered, then how do you possibly grow in life? I feel like I'm a better person for it. Um, and I feel like I'm in a place right now where all I care about is where my two feet are and who I'm with. And being with Greg McElroy and, and this crew brings me great joyfulness. And that's where I broadcast from. I love the preparation of getting ready for a college football game with a million new names and faces and backstories that you have to learn every year. I love the pageantry and tradition. I love how much it means to the young men and to the coaches and to those who are rooting on a, on a Saturday afternoon who, who you know, are far more tribal than any other sport we have in our country and their identity is woven into it. And, you know, this sport feels like I'm home. Um, and I enjoyed when the red light was on in the NFL and we were in the midst of games. But I enjoy every second of being immersed in college football. So um, that's how I would sum up my two years. There's no woe is me that I was ousted from the Monday Night Football booth. I've been very blessed in my career. My family's been rewarded. In the same span of those two years of going through that on Monday Night Football, I also had the incredible blessing of hooking up with Steph Curry and Rob Riggle and now having you know an entertainment show on ABC that's, that's brought me about as much pleasure as anything I've ever done in my career. So positive outlook, always taking on challenges, being fearless and moving forward. And, you know, that's that's who you're going to get. So, Joe, on that front, and you mentioned working, especially with Rob Riggle on a show that is very, very uh, just fun and entertaining and silly, right? Um, yeah, absurd. And- it's absolutely absurd. We broadcast extreme mini golf. Back to the podcast in a second. But first, Bruce, a word about one of our sponsors, Artifact. 
So Stu, Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about the important people or things in life. Think about it like your own favorite podcast, but about whatever you want. You can do things like have them interview your parents about what their lives were like before you were born, or a birthday gift for your significant other, or have them interview close friends about her and the importance of their relationship. There's all sorts of ways to use Artifact. And in fact, you and I used Artifact to do a podcast episode where we were interviewed about our friendship and meeting back at ESPN Magazine in 1998 and, uh, and the origins of the Audible. You can listen to that episode, by the way, at heyartifact.com slash audible. And the other thing is, not to get cheesy, but like we've both known each other since we were single and then we both eventually got married and we both had children and we've you know, I think that's, that's at the end of the day, like that's a much deeper bond than college football. Here's how it works for you. Go to heyartifact.com. Tell them a few basic things about what you want the artifact to be about. And then what we did was we answered a few pre-interview questions, scheduled the interview. The whole thing only took a few minutes in our interview. It was about 30 minutes long. It was easy. You just call in over your phone from your living room. From there, Artifact's professional editors and sound engineers take care of the edit, and the final product is great. You can listen to it for yourself at heyartifact.com audible. And you can see great examples of how people use Artifact to start your own at heyartifact.com. So use promo code audible and get $40 off your episode. Again, heyartifact.com audible. Yeah, so 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 you you went from the NFL, which feels very corporate, and look, I love watching the NFL, but it, it feels very corporate. You to some fans, probably diehard NFL fans who maybe aren't, you know, if they're in metropolitan areas, maybe they're not. You're not on the radar. They didn't know your style. They didn't know your personality because maybe they aren't very immersed in college football. So you you go there. You still have probably an ear, probably maybe more than you want, maybe to have get social media feedback and get criticism and everything like that did you feel any sense of by the time you're two rolled around that that i don't want to say somebody was trying to get you to be something you're not but it's almost like is this more natural to where your personality is as opposed to maybe where the NFL expects its person to be on a play-by-play crew, especially on that stage well, I on Monday night. I mean, listen, I, I agree with your assessment that when you listen and watch um, NFL games, they tend to be, they tend to fall into the box of cookie cutter in terms of style, performance, um, somewhat homogenous. The NFL is about the shield and the jersey. And it's a it's a great league. It, it's the it's the biggest gathering of of American eyeballs there is that we have of any any entity in our country. Um, if you if you look at the broadcasters through the history of college football, who you associate with college football, uh, you would say Keith Jackson, Brent Musburger. Lee Corso, you would start to rattle off guys who you would not attach the descriptives um, and the attributes of what we just said about the NFL to. These are guys who are distinct, dynamic, unique personalities who go about things in their own way, much like the way college football does. College football is 
a sport that is very distinct and regionalized and has different flavors and textures and layers to it. It's not uniform uh, the way the NFL is. Um, it varies by where you are in the country, which conference you're in, in terms of how the fans act, what the teams are, from you know non-conforming fields to jerseys to stadiums to cultures. So yeah, um, if 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 the perception of my personality and my broadcast style is that I I would be more in line with the Keith Jacksons, Brent Musburgers, and those kind of guys then so be it. I just know I'm very comfortable in college football. I wasn't uncomfortable in the NFL. Um, it's not like I forgot how to broadcast a game or was any less of a broadcaster. Um, but, you know, different leagues had different styles and different viewers are conditioned to different things in different leagues. And I do think it is a fair assessment by you to say that the NFL tends to be a corporate shield first homogenous of uh, you know, fit it into a box league. Part of that emotion in college football is the crowds. So you're back in college football. You yeah. broadcast two games, but they were both. Now, they weren't empty stadiums like a lot of places, but there, no, were, there was a limited number of fans. And, I mean, I have yet to be able to step foot in a college stadium. So uh, we want to hear from you. What is it? What is the energy like in there or lack of maybe? And how does it affect, you know, the way you call a game? Well, I think a lot of people um, were, were shocked a little bit with what they saw with our Florida State game uh, when we were taking some crowd shots. Um, and then last week at Georgia Tech, I thought there was good energy. Listen, it's not what I've been used to in my career of standing atop uh, an SEC stadium with 100,000 people underneath your feet. But when, you go, when I go back and I watch the broadcast and then in some critical moments actually there – there's enough with who's there. There's enough at the 20%. This week we'll have 25% um, at Vaught-Hemingway, which, which comes out to 16,000, where you do understand you're at a college football game. You do. Um, Stu and Bruce, as many years of being road warriors that you are, I'm sure you would appreciate the fact that um, you get enough atmosphere, but you get no traffic when you're leaving the stadium. So that's, that's a nice thing. So... <laughs> Uh, but, but uh, there, you know, I go back and watch it. There was enough natural sound and fan sound to feel like you're broadcasting a game. We'll see how that goes if in the coming weeks I'm at a place that's not allowing for it. But, you know, 16,000 we're going to have for Florida Ole Miss this weekend. I think the 16,000 that show up, they're there to roar. So you're coming back and into the SEC. You know that landscape yes. well. And your first game in the SEC, and it's a really intriguing matchup. We have Florida, who has just announced as the preseason pick uh, to come out of the SEC East, which it feels like it's been a long time since somebody other than Georgia has been that favorite. Uh, and Lane Kiffin's first game in Oxford. You've already probably had some some calls with those schools. What can you tell us? What are you expecting from this weekend? Well, I mean, listen, I think it's an intriguing game, even though on paper there's obviously – um, a perceived gap in talent because Florida is viewed as a true championship contender. And then you have Ole Miss that does have pockets of real talent, but then has a coaching staff that makes you think twice. Um, you know, Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley at quarterback, uh, that's a pretty good dynamic duo. Um, you know, one guy that when he's at his best and healthy can be a really good passer and can develop into something. And another guy that's just got wheels beyond wheels. 
Um, I think they're strong, obviously, with Ely in the backfield. I think offensively, they're going to do some things and they're going to have moments that make this game really, really interesting. I think more in the slot as a receiver is really, really dangerous. I think they're going to be able to move the ball. What what you question is they're is defensively matching up with Florida's offense. Um, can they have a new group of guys up front on the defensive line and especially in the defensive backfield that can make some stops? Because Kyle Trask being a senior and being first-team SEC and, and knowing what he's capable of with what he showed last year and Kyle Pitts, who may be one of the biggest matchup problems in the country and then all the talent they have at receiver, Florida should be able to put plenty of points on the board on Saturday. But it's game one. We're coming off of COVID. It's been a long time. There's no game against a non-conference opponent to shake off the rust. And Lane Kiffin, in a spot like this, will have some things that Dan Mullen and that group needs to be ready for. So I think I think intriguing is the right tag to apply to this game. First of all, can I just say that I hadn't seen the SEC media poll yet when Bruce just kind of nonchalantly said, Florida was picked to win the East, and I was like, "That can't be right. Yes. That can't be right." And then I looked at my email, and sure enough, that's it that's is. amazing. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I shouldn't totally dismiss it. They won eleven games last season, but I thought the perception was that there's still a gap between Georgia and Florida. Apparently not. Um, but looking at the SEC as all, just the fact that the SEC is coming back this weekend, I know that yes. it's people often accuse us of SEC bias or being in love with the SEC and whatnot, but you know, with the Big Ten not playing, with the the Big Twelve hasn't played conference games yet. I mean, I'd be curious your opinion, Joe, and maybe Bruce as well. Doesn't this just kind of feel like this now? Now it's the season. Now that the SEC is back. Yeah, Bruce. You know what I was thinking the other day, Bruce, and I agree with you, Stu. It remind the season reminds me of when there's a great restaurant you're excited for, and they sort of have a soft open. And it's like, yeah, we're only going to be having this many tables and we're going to be open on Friday night and Saturday night for dinner. And it's like, you know, we've had a soft open to the college football season. We've had uh, moments that we get excited about, moments that didn't deliver what we thought, a lot of cancellations, a lot of disruptions. Um, you know, some things, some, some windows where you say, wow, I can't believe how thinned out that time is, that broadcast window is. Now you look at the schedule and you look across the board and you see games that feel right. You see games that tell you that we're back to playing college football the way you know and expect a college football Saturday to look like. So um, I think our game plays into that. Um, I think Kentucky-Auburn plays into that. So, um, you know, it, it should be good this week to have the SEC back in terms of when you watch from start to finish, feeling like you're seeing quality football, at least in every broadcast window. I think, Stu, on that point, uh, to what Joe is saying also, one thing that struck me was, so week one, you know, you had a couple of upsets certainly in the Big 12, but they weren't big brand programs going down necessarily. I mean, they were they were solid teams and they were there were good games in themselves. But I think the one thing I'm sitting there remembering from week one is I'm watching Kansas with Les Miles, who is a very prominent coach. They're getting their butts whooped by Coastal Carolina. And it's like, okay, right. there's something to kind of, there's something compelling in that. Last weekend, 
not great games, but we still could point to here's Miami, Louisville. Yeah, it was a it was a top twenty five matchup, but I think because it was Miami, because there there is some intrigue there. I feel like it was something to for people to kind of focus as opposed to a lot of the first couple of weeks felt like they it felt like um not per se March Madness like the tournament it felt a little bit like when you're watching some of the other conferences that that are more quote unquote the mid majors that maybe the games can be intriguing and you you like to see guys whether it's Jay Adams at Arkansas State you see those guys get introduced to a big stage but I think for the most part you kind of most people do not gravitate towards it now like i said we're talking about lane kiffin's first game we're talking about a top five florida team with legit uh national title hopes you're talking about mike leach and ed ogeron gonna face each other on uh, in the big cbs game i think that it's the next step here now it's not all the way back certainly with the big 10 and a bunch of other you know more marquee matchups but I, I buy, as always, Joe, it comes back to food with you and restaurants, and I do see the same the same correlation you do. Yeah, and yeah. the way I put it in the mailbag is that, the, don't get me wrong, it was great to be able to watch college football the last two weeks. It didn't feel like, I can't think of a game I watched where it felt like there was a lot at stake, right? The, the stakes aren't there yet. And not that to say that any of these SEC games are going to determine the SEC title, but whenever there's... There's always every game's a referendum in the SEC, right? So if 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 Ole Miss upsets Florida, oh my gosh, the the Florida fans will be furious with Dan Mullen. If K- Kentucky beats Auburn, it's Gus Malzahn's back on the hot seat. Like there, there's always something at stake when these teams are playing. So um, do you think that you will be doing primarily SEC games this season, or will continue to be a mix? You know, you know, I don't think there's any rhyme or rhythm to this season, Stu, when it comes to assignments and time. So, because I think everybody in the entire sport, and I'm not speaking on behalf of ABC and ESPN, I think everybody would tell you from the broadcast partners to leagues to schools, just have games every week. Let's just try to get through the season, have games, have players on the field, not have postponements, be able to broadcast them, serve the fans. So, you know, my attitude on the whole season is not about what time slot I'm on. You know, I'm in what game I'm doing is just do we have the opportunity to broadcast a game, to do it safely, to get our crew into town and out of town, COVID tested, COVID free, to celebrate these young men and just move forward. I think it's a total survive and advance season in every way. And, and that's really my attitude. You know, I love your point that you just made about how it feels a little different this week for the SEC, because and I believe this in all of college football, but specifically at the SEC. I always think of every SEC game as a standalone event, a really, truly a standalone event that it's not the monotony. It's, it's why the sports that I broadcast and the sports that I'm the biggest fan of, uh, college football and championship boxing, um, that one moment in time matters, matters greatly. I, I could never broadcast a Major League Baseball season or even an NBA regulars. I just, I'm incapable of it. I like there always being something on the line. Every play, every moment, every game, all the time. It's just kind of the way I view life. And I believe that in the SEC, you get a little more of that more than any. But I really believe that in college football. I believe for almost all these players, it's going to be, for most of them, it's going to be the last time they ever play the sport. It's the pinnacle of the sport for most football players. 
Um, and one play can determine your entire career. I mean, you're risking injury on every play. Hey, Joe, one last thing before we let you go. Uh, you were in the NFL the last two years, so Saturdays were a little more manageable for you. You weren't you know, locked in on a broadcast. So how will you keep an eye on BC if they're in the same window as you? On, on sorry, on BC? Yeah. Well, that's challenging, and that can be heartbreaking at times, too. You know, last, you know, last week I got a big chuckle. I was sitting there. I got to the booth early to do UCF Georgia Tech, and uh, right now my son's the backup punter and starting holder for Coach Halfley. And so I, I got a lot of stuff prepped, and I'm, I'm sitting there watching his game against Duke on TV, and sure enough, BC comes down the field and scores. And, and, and uh, um, let me tell you something, Stuart Mandel, you better wake yourself up to fill Dracovic really quickly. And um, we'll talk about that at some point offline. But uh, and here comes, here comes John Tessitore, and I said, okay, good. I get to see him come out on special teams. And sure enough, on the very first moment he runs out onto the field at Duke to start his season, he brings the team out in a muddle pod formation. He's in the shotgun playing quarterback in a diamond bunch with the entire offensive line all the way over to the left with a flanker and then Hunter Long, the tight end, to the bottom of your screen. So I said, great, this is how I watch my son play college football. I'm watching on a small iPad while, while I'm sitting here in a booth at Georgia Tech and he's sitting there in the shotgun, and I see him counting numbers, contemplating a direct snap to himself, which I was just laughing my butt off. Um, but, no, it, it is – listen, as a parent, I'd, I'd love to be able to see him play, but he understands football right now is his scholarship and his job, and football is my career and my job, so that takes us in our directions. We're blessed to have other moments together that we can celebrate that normal – father and sons don't but um yeah listen i've been dealing that for many years during his prep years as well by the way i deserve the flack joe just gave me about bc i'm the i'm the idiot who when the acc schedule came out uh in july i picked bc to go one and nine i did not think that uh phil Djokovic would be the savior but uh good for them going out and kicking duke's butt the first week so. Well, here's the, here's the deal. Here's the truth on Phil. So Phil Dracovic, obviously, we all know, was a huge recruit. But his physical gifts and tools, when you see him in person, he is a big, I mean big, physically imposing and athletic quarterback. So he can do a lot of things off script, and he can solve a lot of problems there, aside from the fact that he has uh, you know, four future NFL players on the offensive line in front of him. So offensively, I think they're going to be actually pretty good this year. And Hunter Long at tight end is something, too. Defensively, they're young, but they're extremely well coached with Halfley. And as you know, Halfley has a reputation for developing defensive players. So, yeah, I, you know, I listen to you guys all the time. It's nice to have you back in the you know, in-season mode. I felt like for everybody that does college football writing and college football podcasts, there became a moment during the offseason where we can't talk more and we can't write more about if, will there, could there, how will there. It's nice to have you guys simply talking football now every week. I love it. There were some rough months in there, I'm not gonna lie, where we There were where we had to figure out what to say what to talk about that week and and it was mostly stuff people didn't even want to hear us talk about. So yes, we everything you just said, believe me, we feel that way too. But I give you credit, Stu, and, and not to not to harp on this, but I, I thought that you showed exactly who you are as a veteran writer and um, the level of awareness you have where you wrote a column or maybe your mailbag at one point where you acknowledge that 
perhaps where I live and perhaps my views of COVID don't always align with what my readers want. I thought you read the room very, very, very well. And um, I give you credit for coming out and saying that, that there were certain points where, you know, in certain pockets of the country, or maybe even in your own backyard, people wanted to hear about college football. People did not want to hear about COVID, the politics, the protocols, the procedures, the business of college football. They needed a healthy distraction. And maybe, much like college football, um, the coverage and or the circumstances surrounding this pandemic are different based on what region you live in. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that. That was, uh, you know, that was a, that was a hard thing to, to, you know, I put a lot of thought into what to write and what to say that week and feedback was, was generally positive and to hear that from somebody like yourself means a lot. So thank you, Joe. Yeah, it was the right, it was the right thing to do. And I give you credit because I think a less experienced writer and, and somebody that's not of your stature would have actually done that. So good for you. Well, Joe, we appreciate your your time today. We look forward to watching your game on Saturday, and hopefully you will. You got a prediction on that one, Bruce? Uh, sorry, Lane. I, I mean, I'm predicting Florida to come out of to make the playoffs, so I'm not predicting them just to stumble in Oxford. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, you'll have a hopefully you'll have a Joe Tess kind of drama filled uh, outcome, though. That would be nice, and hopefully everything's in the rearview mirror soon enough so that you and Stu and so many of our brethren in this sport for so many years can actually be together for the college football playoff or the national championship or be able to celebrate our great sport you know, in person somewhere. Wouldn't that be something? I will happily take however many COVID tests they want me to take if it meant we could have a normal uh, gathering of everybody at the national championship game. I agree, Stu. I agree wholeheartedly. We deserve that. All right. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Joe. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.